It's Acts chapter 10. We read from verse 30. This is God's Word. Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with Him. We are witnesses of everything He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Well, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 10, those verses that we were reading earlier, Peter visiting Cornelius. Another Easter has come and gone. Um, earlier this year than usual, colder this year than ever. If you, uh, uh, at least that's what I think. I'm sure some of you think that as well. And I'm sure uh, for some of your friends and your colleagues, it doesn't mean all that much. Maybe it was just a time to get a bit of time off work, a time to catch up with some stuff around the house or something like that. I would imagine that for some of the people that we know and, and, and we really care for. They, they, they've not thought much about the real meaning of Easter, and if they were to, to be asked about the fact that we believe that Jesus died and rose again, they would think that we have embraced something that they think is not true and that we perhaps, they think that we suspect is not true. I don't know if you know those lines from uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, when the queen tells Alice that she's 101 years old. This is how it goes. I can't believe that, said Alice. 
Can't you, said the queen in a pitying tone. Try again. Draw a long breath and close your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One cannot believe impossible things. I dare say, said the queen, you haven't had much practice. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Now, there are a number of people, maybe people that we know, and whenever they think about Christians believing in the resurrection of Jesus, they think that we are taking a deep breath and trying to believe an impossible thing. But this week, I... I, I, came across an article that, that pointed out just how much consensus there is about the life and the death and the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There's broad consensus, this article says, even amongst a liberal and skeptical scholars about some basic facts. So here are some people who don't necessarily believe the Bible, don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but here are the things that they have come to say cannot really be denied. Here they are. So, for example, they they believe that Jesus died by crucifixion. There are all sorts of references to that outside of the Bible even. They believe that his early followers had experiences a short time later that they thought were appearances of Jesus. They believe that as a result, they were transformed to the point that they were willing to die for that belief. Further, they believe, they, they accept that two former unbelievers, James, the brother of Jesus, and Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, both similarly thought that they had seen the risen Jesus as well. And they believe, incontrovertibly, that this gospel message of the death and resurrection of Jesus began to be taught very soon after these events. Now, those are, are, are things that we would want to really celebrate, that, that, that these are things that are being uh, held by even those who are skeptical about Christianity. Now, I don't have time to go into how the consensus for these things has been developed. One of the the examples of that is that little passage of Scripture that we used right at the beginning of our service from 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, now what the scholars have, have, have discovered is that that is... an ancient creed, something that Christians would have recited as we do the Apostles' Creed from time to time, and that that was in use in the mid-30s AD, in other words, five years after Jesus' death. What other explanation is there for the fact that this was being recited by early groups of believers other than the fact that Jesus really is alive. I think many of those who might think that we believe an impossible thing would be pretty challenged if they were to look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But, but let's say that our friends, or maybe if some of us today are skeptical, let's say that we come to the conclusion that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. What difference would that mean? What is the implication of that? What's the so what 
of the resurrection. Well, here the Bible has lots to say because the resurrection is used again and again to establish Jesus' authority and his claim over our lives and over every life. And I want us to look at how Peter spelled out the implications of that resurrection in this one occasion to Cornelius. Peter had responded, as we've seen, to this invitation from Cornelius, who was this Gentile Roman centurion. Up until this point, the message about Jesus had largely been confined to the Jews, but Cornelius had now gathered with his friends and family, sent for Peter, and Peter proclaims the gospel to him. And part of what he does is he makes clear the implications of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive. I'm going to read just a few of those verses again. This is the verses that we're, we're thinking of, especially from verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, on a cross, But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, many of us have been through Christianity Explored. There was a forerunner to that course that looks at the basics of Christianity called Christianity Explained. And in one of the sessions, it dealt with the resurrection of Jesus, and it looked at this passage. And we're going to sort of use that outline to step through some of the implications of the resurrection. A couple of things to notice, though, before we do. If you glance down to verse 42, you'll see that that these are the things that Jesus commanded to be taught. So this is not speculation, not even on behalf of the apostles. This is what Jesus commanded the disciples to preach. It means that he directed them as to the content of their preaching. That's really important, isn't it? Because what we, we see in their preaching is that the resurrection of Jesus figures very highly, and therefore we can assume that it was because Jesus told them to do that, tell the people that I am alive and what that means. So this is what the risen Jesus wants people to know, and therefore we can say by extension, this is what the risen Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to know this. Five things that we should see. First of all, all people will be raised. All people will be raised. You notice verse 42, Peter speaks about the living and the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Now, what does this mean? This is telling us, as the Bible tells us elsewhere, that all people will be raised in order to stand before God, before Jesus Christ. All of those who have gone before in history, who are now dead, and all of those who are alive at the time that Christ comes back will stand before him. All will be raised. Now, straight away, that flies in the face of a very common way of looking at the world today, the idea that this world is all that there is. I noticed that uh, this week the BBC carried an article in the website about modern spirituality. I'd interviewed 10 people who were described as modern spiritual people. 
And many of these people didn't necessarily believe in a God. One of them said, I don't believe, I'm a humanist, I don't believe in God, but I'm a spiritual person. He said, it's up to me to create my own meaning. This life is all there is, he says, but I've got to find some meaning myself in these all too brief years between birth and death. Now, of course, we, we know even in listening to that that it doesn't stack up. You, you can't make up meaning. Meaning has to be given to you. But what the Bible tells us is that there is a future beyond death for all people, and that creates meaning. That creates the meaning and context of our lives. This world is not all that there is. And that maybe seems like good news, and it is in many ways, but the next truth is something that we therefore also have to bear in mind. All people will be raised, but also, this is clear, all people will be judged. Jesus has been appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead, verse 42. So in the future of every single person who has ever been or who will ever be, there is a judgment, there is a giving of account, there is a, a, a reckoning that must take place. In other words, we cannot just live as if there are no consequences to our actions. And we give an account, and you think of this, we give an account not to public opinion. That's, that's where many people seek to justify themselves today. Do I stack up in the eyes of those around me. But we don't give an account to public opinion. Nor do we give an account to ourselves. You know the mantra that comes across today? Be true to yourself. You've got to be authentic. You've got to, to go with your own heart and be true to yourself. But we don't have to give an account to ourselves. We have to give an account to the God who made us and who knows us through and through. Now, this is one of the truths that really challenges modern people because we want to say that we are autonomous, that we are answerable to nobody, that we have no authority over us, that there's nobody to whom we are accountable. But you see, we are accountable to God. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, this goes back right to the, the very Garden of Eden. What happens there? Satan whispers to Adam and to Eve, there is no judgment. You will not surely die, the serpent says. There's no judgment. You, you'll not have to give an account for your actions. You can do as you wish without consequences. And you know what? The, the ancient serpent has been whispering that to everyone ever since. We've heard that ourselves. It is now increasingly embedded within our culture. But the Bible tells us the risen Jesus commanded his people to preach he wants us to know that all people will be judged. Third thing, the risen Jesus will be the judge on that day. Jesus is the one whom God appointed judge of the living and the dead. Now, now we know that, that we are often quick to judge others and to give our opinions on things. I'm sure like me, you've had this experience where you have formed an opinion on something or someone, and then you've heard the other side of the story, and you've completely had to revise your opinion. I, I, you think, I've just got that so wrong. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is not like that. His judgments are always perfect. 
Can you ever think of a time when Jesus came to someone or someone came to him and he got them wrong? Not at all. He never says, oh, I didn't know that. There's never new information that comes to his attention. And that means that his judgments are always perfect, always fair, and always beyond challenge. So we are accountable, you see, and God has appointed a judge, and it is Jesus. And so the resurrection is really important because it guarantees our future, guarantees our resurrection, according to these verses, but it also guarantees our judgment because Jesus is the judge. Now, here's this exalted position of the Lord Jesus that is so easily overlooked by the world. You, you will get people who will say, well, you know, I am a spiritual person and I believe in God in a, in a general, a vague way. I believe that there's something out there. There's something in the universe, but I don't really know much about Jesus. And yet, clearly, God has appointed him to be the judge. He's given him the name that's above every name so that every knee will bow before him. Everyone will have to deal with him, and the resurrection guarantees that. Well, what happens then when people are judged? Well, here's our fourth point. All people will be divided. They'll be divided into two groups. There's a great division that will cut through all of humanity, all people who've ever lived. One side of it is spoken of here in verse 43. All the prophets testify, <clears throat> all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So you see what's spoken of here? There's a judgment made, and it is not how good a life have you lived. It is not have you been a religious person. It is not have you gone to church. It is not were you better than the people that you read about on the television or in the papers, saw on the television or read in the papers. That is not the basis on which this division takes place. As verse 43 says, it is about believing in him. Now, let's be clear. What does it mean to believe? It's not some theoretical believing. It's not just believing that He exists. It's, it's entrusting yourself to Him. Let's try to illustrate that. Let's imagine that you really indulged yourself over Easter, and you ate all the Easter eggs that came into your house. The kids didn't even get near them. You just, as soon as they arrived, took them into your study, and you just ate them, okay? And let's imagine that, that, that not only did you do that, but on Easter Monday, you went to Tesco's and you bought all the half price ones as well. You ate those too, okay? Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? And, and, then, and then you get an invitation to a wedding in July, and you think, okay, I've got a suit to get into. And you go and try out that suit, and, and you're too tight to buy a new suit, and you're too tight for the suit. <laughs> or the dress, or whatever it is, you know? And so you look back in the photo album just to make sure it's really your suit or really your dress because you're not really sure you ever got into that. But you think, right, I've got three months now. And so you do all the research and you think, right, the best way for me to get into that dress or into that suit is Slimming World. I believe in Slimming World. And if you're, you're talking to your friends and you say, you know, I really believe in Slimming World, and they say to you, well, great, you know, what are the meetings like? You say, well... I've not been yet. And, and, and what, are the, what are the diet plans like? Well, I've, I've not done them yet. Do you believe in Slimming World? 
No, you don't. You, you, you just theoretically believe in Slimming World. You, you see, if you say that you're really a believer in, in Slimming World in the way that the Bible would talk about being a believer, it means that you're committed, you've paid your money, you're going to the meetings, you're following the program, you see? Now, that's what belief in Jesus Christ is like. It's not, a, it's not a theory. It's not saying, I believe that Jesus existed. The demons believe that Jesus existed. It means that you're committed to him. He shapes your life. You've signed up. You've bought into him. You trust him absolutely. All people will be divided. And on the positive side, there are those who believe in Jesus like this, who have committed themselves to Jesus like this, and they receive the forgiveness of sins, a right standing with God. How precious that is, the most precious thing in all of the world. Christianity Explain puts it like this, those who believe in Jesus now are forgiven by Jesus now, and they are accepted by Jesus then on judgment day. You believe in Jesus now, you're accepted by him now, and you're accepted by him then on judgment day. They get to be with him in heaven. There is, of course, a negative side then to this division, isn't there? It's the implication of this. Jesus warns about it in many places. And that is, if we don't believe in Jesus, then we're in trouble. And of course, that's how we start off. We start off on the wrong side, and we need to move to the right side. If we don't believe in Jesus, then we are rejected by him. Jesus warns us of this. Mark 8, for example, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Christian Explained puts it like this. Those who reject Jesus now will be rejected by Jesus then. Now, this great theme of division runs all the way through the Scriptures, doesn't it? It hinges on, on believing or rejecting Jesus Christ. It's seen in, in, in many places in Jesus' teaching. You think of some of his parables, the sheep and the goats, the, the, uh, the, the, the good fish, the worthless fish, the wheat and the tares, the branches that bear fruit, the worthless branches that are gathered up and burned. And don't forget, Regal Tice often points out that these words and these warnings come to us from the most loving person who's ever lived. It's the loving thing to warn us of these great eternal realities that face every single person. And don't forget, he goes to the cross so that people will not have to be lost. He lays down his life and takes it up again to rescue people from a lost eternity so that they might accept him now, so that he might accept them then. And the last thing to say, that this, this division is forever. I remember wondering that as a teenager, you know, knowing 16 years old roughly and feeling under some measure of conviction, knowing that I was not ready to meet Jesus Christ. I'm wondering if there might be a second chance. But there's no hint of that at all in the Bible. 
It is our life and our response to Jesus now that is critical, not just for a time, but forever. We have all the information that we need. If we're here today, we know all that we need in order to respond to Him. So, so we, could, we could sum it up by putting it this way. A person's attitude to Jesus now in this life is reflected by Jesus' attitude to them in the next. In fact, a person's attitude to Jesus now is the same as Jesus' attitude to them in the next. If we accept Him now, He accepts us then. If we reject Him now, He rejects us then. It's the implications of the resurrection. So 2,000 years ago, you see, the disciples found an empty tomb. The authorities couldn't produce a body because Jesus was alive. There's been a resurrection. And although it is history, it's not just history. It changes everything. It affects us now. It means that all people must reckon with Jesus. All will be raised. All will be judged. The judge is Jesus. All will be divided. This division is forever. Friends, today, if, if, if you're here and you're a Christian and, and you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, be assured, whatever else is going on in your life, whatever chaos there is in your life, and we go through times like that, don't we? Whatever chaos there is in our lives, whatever hard things, then be assured that the critical matter, the critical matter has been addressed your greatest need has been met. So go on living for Him and serving Him, trusting Him, and pointing others to Him. And if you've not yet received Him, then I, I hope today that you can see that you are on that wrong side of that division. But why not change that today? Why not now? Why not say to him, Lord, you know what? I, I really believe that you are alive. And I realize, I believe that that means you will be my judge. But I want you to be my savior. I want to be accepted by you then. So I'm accepting you now. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes we confess we're slow to think through the implications of these great truths. We thank you that you help us with that that you commanded your disciples to preach these things, for you want us to know this. It's kind of you, Lord, to tell us about how things really are. Help us, each one, to accept you now that we might be accepted by you then. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.